have you all ever had an experience like this where you spill something on a carpet and uh, you're kind of in a rush, uh, say, to get out the door to go somewhere. And you're like, I'm going to get to that in a minute, but you realize, man, I'm late. And so you, you're like, I'm gonna, I'll get to that when I get home. I'll get to spot cleaning that spot on the ground. And then you come home later at the end of the day, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I just need to go to bed. I'll just, you know, I, I see that spot there. It's still a little damp, but I'm going to, I'll just wait till morning. And I'll take care of it then. And then you sleep in a little bit and you wake up in the morning and you you see the the spot on your carpet again and it reminds you but you didn't have time enough you didn't plan time enough to clean it that morning so you're like i'll get it tonight and then that night becomes the next day and eventually the spot's like completely dry and um you think well i'll get it i'll get it tonight but that night you're like well it's, since it's dry now it's not gonna be any different if i just get to it this weekend and i'll take care of it then um and then eventually, like, you see this, this, this spot on the ground. It's not that the spot um, has uh, disappeared, but to your eyes, it's kind of gone away because it's what you've grown accustomed to or what you've, you've become used to. To where, like, of course, you can visually see it, but you just don't think about it anymore because it's, it, it's, it's become what you're carpet looks like right there. And other people can come in and maybe they notice this big spot on your carpet, but after years it's just like, okay, whatever, it's, it's just, um, it's part of your house. Eventually we stop seeing it. Or maybe that's like, maybe not a spot on the carpet, but maybe you've got a mark on your wall or a dent in your car or something that eventually you don't fix in long enough time and you just kind of forget about it. And everybody else notices it, but you don't notice it anymore. Um, a house that Mary Beth and I lived in for a short amount of time. We lived with a family, and there were some unfinished things about the house, some repairs that need to be made um, around, like the door frame. There was like um, uh, the bathroom. The bathroom. How do you know, Cam? Anyways, just some some little projects that needed to be done. The side of the house needed to be restuccoed on on a couple of the sides. And um, it, it went undone for years, and eventually, like even after Mary Beth and I lived in there for a few months, eventually we stopped even noticing those things, and just that's just the way that the house is. Um, until finally somebody fixes it, and then you're like, oh my gosh, that, that looks great. What's, well, first you think, what's different to this place? Because it should be finished, or most houses should be finished, but you realize, oh my gosh, that, my, that had slipped my attention because it just became what I was used to seeing all the time. Um, you guys understand what like mm -hmm. this kind of thing happens. So I think that this was happening to the Jews to some extent when they returned to um, Jerusalem after the exile. They, um, I think we're going to read, they lost sight of something very important. And it's not that they couldn't actually see the problem. Um, like maybe it was in the back of their mind, but they, they needed someone to come along, like Haggai, and say, hey, wake up and, and look again and see what you're missing and see what you should be resolving. Um, so we come to, to the book of Haggai. Um, we finally got to read some, of, some about the return of some of the, the Israelites to Jerusalem in Ezra and Nehemiah, if you're reading through, you read some of the story of their return. And what, what did they originally return to do? Why were they sent there to, what, to return to do what? Repair. Okay, or repair, and specifically the temple. The temple, yeah. So in, um, in 536 BC, uh, we read in the very first verses of Ezra, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, not even a Jew, but he's, God's doing this in his heart, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and he put it in writing, thus says king Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, so the Jews, whoever is, is a Jew living here, 
May God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. Then, a little bit later, it says, Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. So we have the returning of these people who by the decree of the king and by the stirring of the Lord in some of the hearts of the people of Israel, they're returning to the land. Specifically, we read to, to rebuild the temple of God. And I don't know like, what all um, King Cyrus was thinking why he would do that or desire that, but God kind of put that into his heart. So, their intention, it seems, going back to the land starts out really good. Um, maybe, I, I, like I think to myself, maybe this is going to be a fresh start for the Jews. If you're just kind of reading and you don't know how the story goes, they're going to start with building the temple, and then um, you know later we read about them read. Uh, restoring the wall and all these things. And maybe this is going to be like when Israel will finally choose to have a, a, some uninterrupted time of making Yahweh their God. Um, and so they, we read in Ezra 3, this is not where we're at today, but we read in Ezra 3 they, that they, they remove the rubble around the temple and they start laying the foundation for the temple. Like they get started in this project that they uh, should be getting started in. But then... In chapter 4 of Ezra, we start reading about a lot of um, discouragement of that rebuilding of the temple. Uh, you can read about it in Ezra 4, um, but some of the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so they're facing discouragements and some other decrees from kings and leaders, and it's, it's keeping them from finishing the project. And just so you know the timeline, it's for about 15 years from the, the start of that to the beginning of the book of Haggai. So they, they started, it seems, fairly immediately when they get there. And then 15 years later, that foundation has been laid, but it's just sitting there undone. Maybe you guys have seen one of those like uh, construction projects that just kind of halts mid-project, and I don't know if they ran out of money or what, but it's just like sitting there with just either the, the framing done or just a limited amount done. Um, we've seen that in several other countries more, where it's like, wow, they, they had big plans to do this, but it just kind of stopped there, and now it's been sitting there for 10 years, it looks like, and there's nothing else going on. So we read in, in Ezra, just to, like, it's fascinating to me how all these pieces fit together, but in Ezra chapter 5, verse 1, if you're curious, um, it mentions that the prophets Haggai and Zechariah prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem. And so everything that happened in Chapter 5, verse 1 of Ezra is, is what Haggai and Zechariah say, I think, at least Haggai, um, in, in that one verse. You could kind of insert Haggai into that one verse, it's a, um, and they fit seamlessly together. I was like the, it's like when the flash comes into the scene when you're watching the arrow, or what's Green Arrow, Green Lantern? One, anyway, they're like crossing stories, and they're like, yes, this is amazing how they fit together. Um, so Haggai's prophesying, just like uh, it says in Ezra that he was doing. And what did he prophesy? Well, we read it here. Um, uh, another kind of cool note that I, I think was, uh, a lot of people kind of pointed out about Haggai is, is we're beginning to get into time periods that you can we can know like exactly the the dates um, because of other historical calendars and moon cycles and different things. Like we can know, it says in Haggai 1.1 that this is the second year of Darius the king and the sixth month on the first day of the month. Well, their months and days aren't exactly, they don't exactly line up with um, the, the way that our calendar works. But 
Haggai 1-1 happened for sure on August 29th, 520 BC. Wow. I think that's kind of cool. And, and the other dates in Haggai, you can, you can say this happened, I mean, it lays it out, but this happened specifically on this day, and there's like, there's, it's a, like the further you go back, of course, the harder it is to kind of determine now what was the actual date of this and that, but this kind of starts a section that's like, yeah, this is, these are, these are the actual dates. August 29th, 520 BC. So, let me read the first six verses here. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. So, God speaking through Haggai to the governor and the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Verse 2, people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. What? Why are they saying that? Why might the people be saying, hey, the time's not yet to rebuild the house of the Lord? It's not easy. There are people coming against them. Yeah, so people coming against them, they're probably fearful. Yeah. It's inconvenient. It's it's inconvenient. For, yeah, at least compared to, well, building our own houses, something that makes sense to do. This is like an extra extra work. They wanted to be fully settled before they started the house of the Lord, it sounds like, to, have to feel very comfortable before they finish the temple. Yeah, yeah. Anything else? It, it was a big project, certainly. I mean, way bigger than a, a house. Like, it was going to be a big ordeal. And maybe once they I mean, see the foundation, they're like, oh, wow, this is a... I mean, some people are grieving, right? If you remember, because they're like, oh, this is nothing like a Solomon's temple. But um, but it was a... I mean, financially, it may not have been... Financially, economically, it may not have been. Yeah, I mean, maybe with, with, with people kind of coming against them, they're kind of new back in the land, maybe they're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I need to make sure that we've got enough resources and what, like we're, we're, we're kind of at the mercy, of, we're not the great, powerful kingdom we used to be. Hopefully we can, hopefully we can find enough resources to even get our own stuff going before we think about the temple being built. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But they know that the house of the Lord should be built. I'll just say that. I mean, this, this, was, this was the purpose of their returning, like I said at the beginning. What did the temple, we've talked about this a little bit before, um, but what did the temple represent to the Jews? Or what did it mean to them, the temple of God in Jerusalem? There are probably several different things. So what? It's where God dwells. Okay, so it's, it's like the presence of the glory of God, specifically in the Holy of Holies, on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, it's like, this is, this is where God meets with his people. Presence of God. What else does it kind of represent to them, maybe? A place of worship. Okay, yeah. A, a place to worship God and even a place for to atone mm -hmm. for sin. Like, that's the whole... All of the sacrifices and offerings, that was, that was the center of the um, cultic practices used in a positive way of the Israelites. It was the temple of Jerusalem. Anything else you can think that it might have represented? The favor of the Lord. Okay, yeah, yeah. God had he'd chosen a specific place and a specific people and a specific time to... to to do his work, to dwell with a particular people, and man, that's what a 
what a blessing <laughs> that that looks. And, and his faithfulness even, because he said, I'm going to give you this land, and I'm going to give you, and there's a promise I'm going to give, I'm, there's going to be a house for my name, and, and all of that stuff happened, and they rejoiced, and they saw the faithfulness of God, and now without that temple there, and restoring it would just once again affirm in their minds maybe the, the faithfulness of the Lord to, to come through. They were allowed to return back to the land. Maybe they're going to get that thing, that temple back up, and we would um, just see the faithfulness of God. Maybe the covenant, like their covenant with God. Remember in the Ark of the Covenant, there's it's the Ark of the Covenant, there's uh, the Ten Commandments are in there, and it's like, man, this this agreement that we have with God that's that's housed and we're reminded of that in the temple itself. So leaving the temple unbuilt maybe meant elements of either apathy for the presence of God, um, maybe an underlying kind of distrust in the faithfulness of God, um, maybe an indifference for the covenant, uh, maybe uh, uh, un unconcern, is that a word? Uh, lack of concern for uh, their, their sin. It was the presence of God in his temple, access to him, obedience to him, that was to set this Jewish people apart from all of the other nations in the world and bring blessing to them, yet they are determining, hey, the time has not yet come to rebuild the temple. Read verse 2. And it's not because they didn't have the resources to do it, because they're building their home. He says in verse 4, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses with, while this house lies in ruins? Paneled houses doesn't necessarily mean that it was just some fancy houses, but it means that, uh, at least that they were roofed, like they were they were covered, which means they're nearing completion or already completed. Like you've 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 done that for yourselves, while my house lies in ruins. You've completed your home, which is what's like insinuated kind of there. But we feel like maybe we are more important than, than God. So was it was it decades between? Because if that's the case, then you might have had a had decades of people not really practicing the Lord's word or not really recognizing who the, the Lord was. I mean, what was the timeline? I mean, was yeah. it, could that have been possible that you had maybe some, some non-believers and some, some people who just didn't care? Or? So, so we don't read, again, we're, the only kind of hint that we have of what's going on in that time period is from Haggai and, and Zechariah. Um, again, in Ezra, it's like just one verse and it just kind of flips to where they're back. They, they heard what these guys said and they started building the temple again. Um, but there was, they also had started with an altar when they first moved there. So there's some, there, there's some practice still of what they felt like maybe God, you know, this relationship that they ought to have with God. Um, it's, uh, but I, I don't know the, the full extent of, of what they were thinking in this time period, um, except they're thinking, well, we're not, we're not too concerned about getting this temple back in order, or we're too fearful of the people coming against us, or whatever it is. Jared, you, you contrast that to you know, the Solomon's temple, where David coveted to make the temple, and he was very you yeah. know, disappointed when God says, no, you're not going to do it. And then, then Solomon comes along, and, and there was excitement about building the temple. Yeah. And was, they saw it as a privilege and something that was just... You know, the whole nation rallied behind them yeah. and watched it go up. So you, you, you compare the two attitudes, yeah. and obviously they're remarkably different. Something's mm -hmm. wrong, yeah. So it says in verse 5, we read it, consider your ways. And that word consider is used, I think, four or five times in Haggai. Um, it, it's, it, it's, a, um, it's an important word. Like, like, how has this turned out for you? And we see in verse 6, You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in bags with holes. What's he describing? America. The rat race. <laughs> That's good. The, the rat race that, that all of us, to one extent or another, have, have felt. You've sown much. Maybe you've, you're working all the time. You're overworked and underpaid. Um, and does it ever end? Well, not in this life does it seem to ever end. And the idea, I think, here in that verse 6 is, is consider your ways. You are, you're never going to be 
done with this type of work that you're involved with. Um, you guys have probably felt before, like, man, I'm earning wages and I'm putting it in a bag and it's just kind of falling out of the holes in the bag. Like, where is all this money going? And in this life, that's probably going to feel like a continual process for all of us. And the ground is kind of working against us in our work. And when you die, future generations are going to also be kind of clamoring and continue working for the most part, except for the silver spooners. And the job will never be complete. And no offense if you're fed on a silver spoon. Um, <laughs> here's what, what God's, I think, pointing out. If you don't consider your ways, what's going on here, you will never build the temple. You're never going to get to it if you continue working for these things. You're never going to get to that place. It's been 15 years since the foundation was laid, and after... You know, maybe in those first few years, it was kind of an embarrassment that they had this project started and all of the other nations were like, no, you didn't finish that. But now it has just become part of what they are used to, okay? Um, they have grown used to it. It's not fresh on their mind. It's the spot on the carpet that they're just like, man, I, we, would, we would love to get there someday, but we've just got these other things going on right now that we have to get to. And God is saying, consider your ways like, uh, what's this, Zach on Saved by the Bell. Time out. <laughs> Anybody? How many know what I'm talking about? One person. Chelsea? Yes. yes. <laughs> I thought I had a couple more years of relevance. Um, uh, when the Psalms say Selah, when the Psalms say Selah, and we, we understand that kind of as a, hey, you know, Take a pause and, and consider this. Um, maybe a similar sort of idea. The housing of, of the presence of God, the center of your worship as a people, is lying in ruins. Oh, but look, you've, you've completed these nice houses for yourselves. Consider your ways. And consider that you've got a spot on your carpet, but you're saving up to buy a chandelier or something else. And it's like, no, take care of the spot. Uh, verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. There it is again. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Listen to this. This is stinging. Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Ouch. It'd be like, like imagine if you lived in a country where everybody's kind of struggling to make it, and for the most part, people have a roof over their head, they're working hard, life's kind of going along as normal. Everyone's working, thinking through, how can I make my life a little better than it is? And meanwhile, the, the sovereign in your country, the king or whatever it is, is sitting there homeless. So the one who actually watches out for you is sleeping on the concrete slab and getting rained on and um, all your neighbors are just talking about well how can we you know make our make our houses a little better or add on a little bit here a little bit there I'm looking for a better job I'm looking to kind of make a little upgrade here get some nicer stuff and like we have as Americans we have little respect it seems for authority um, so we don't realize how disgraceful that would be, but just imagine like the the queen, Queen Elizabeth, like getting rained on or not being cared for in a sense, while the rest of the country is just doing um, enough to get by. But this is not the queen. This is God that we're talking about. God isn't being worshipped here. Bottom line, in Israel, and He's saying, "Build my house, the place of worship." the place that I may be glorified. And until you do, stop busying yourself with your own stuff, your own life, your own houses, your own cars. I, didn't, I don't think he said cars. Um, <laughs> verse 10. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. 
And I, God, have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. So God is withholding uh, provisions for the people uh, because of their wrong priorities. And upon returning to the land, Israel, the Jews, would have expected that the land would begin to flourish again. The prophet Isaiah had, had, had said that the wilderness, and others, I believe, had said that the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, the desert shall rejoice and blossom. But the promises of the Mosaic Covenant, I think, are still in effect here. But in Deuteronomy 28, these promises of blessing for obedience, you're going to have blessing. And, and to Israel, that, was, that very much meant you're going to have the rain that you need, and you're going to have the food that you need, and you're going to have the supply. Or cursing for disobedience to the Lord. And that seems to be what they're still experiencing here. And so something, I, I think this is, this is super sad in the story um, that the very same types of things are happening as these people come back into their land, this drought and famine and pestilence that God had brought before, hundreds of years before, Israel was doing the same sort of thing, and Israel at this time at the, is also once again refusing to obey. Um, they had a strong start, it seems, right when they got there. It seems like they, they did a little bit of work, and they, they cleared the land, and they made some good... Uh, foundational work go get going, but so quickly they had deserted that task, and so um, God, I believe truly in God's grace, He is getting their attention with natural disasters, um, saying this isn't going to work for you. I'm not going to give you now what you need, and you need to finish my house and worship me and seek my presence, and then watch what happens. Watch the blessing that comes from following me. Verse 12. Then. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed what? The voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. That's an unusual response um, for a lot of what we've read. And it's a better response to most of the prophets and their message and the response of the people to their message. Maybe 70 years in exile had, had taught them to listen to the prophets a bit. Verse 13, what's the first word? I think in any of your translations, the first word of verse 13. Then, okay, so they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Is that true with everybody? Then? I think that was... They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, it says in verse 12, and they feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. They listen and fear the Lord, then the Lord says, I'm with you. I think we can note that God isn't actually waiting for the temple to be fully built before he can be actively involved in blessing Israel. And there's, he doesn't dwell, we read, that he doesn't dwell in a temple that's made by hands. It's not like God is, is actually homeless, like I was describing before. He still is actively at work in the lives of those who are obeying him. He is with them. Um, he just wants, he wants obedience. He wants people trusting in him to provide, to meet all of the physical needs and spiritual needs, but that they were focused on for themselves, trying to cover themselves. He wants his people to be saying, whatever God says, I'll do that, even if it doesn't feel like I'm ready to do what he says that I should do, or I don't feel like my own stuff is in order, or man, I'm going to go back to this building project, it's going to be a little embarrassing, it's been sitting there undone for so long, but okay, God, I'll do that in order for you to be glorified. We obey, and it says he, he, is, he is with them when they obey. I think what, uh, what Israel is or, or was struggling with was an issue, um, maybe among other things, of misplaced priorities. 
they were going about life taking care of themselves, neglecting the more important things like the presence and the, the glory of God and the atonement for sin and such small things as that. Um, they were possibly anxious, saying things like, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear, where shall we live, what shall we live in, and surely God would be cool with us pursuing these types of things. We have to have homes, and in order to be a society, like we need to, we need to have a covering for ourselves. This temple, like somebody was saying, is just this extra kind of thing that we'll we'll get to it when we can, whenever we, whenever we're able to to do that, we're going to get to it. But what does Jesus say to the questions of what shall I eat, what shall I drink, what shall I wear in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, hey, those, those types of concerns that make you so anxious, that's what Jesus says, that's what the Gentiles seek after. That's, um, that's, that's what, what people who have no knowledge of God um, seek after those types of things. They seek after these. Your heavenly Father knows that you need him. He says in Matthew 6, Jesus says this, but seek first the kingdom, right? You all have heard this famous Christian verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus was telling, I think, a, the a same message about 500 years after Haggai and, and, and the, the people... Uh, the, the Jews back then, were, they were struggling with the same things, these misplaced priorities, these misplaced concerns. And I would say 2,000 years later, we still sometimes are struggling through the same concerns that, that just bounce around in our minds. Here's what I want to kind of point out. Um, the Jews at, in 520 BC on August, what did I say, 29th, um, Maybe you could say that they weren't as bad, it seems, as some of those who had gone before them. At least um, they had started this work of temple. Uh, I mean, if you read the, the, the stories, and, and they're actually about to get worse. Zechariah is about to talk about some of that. But, um, but they're, it seems like, man, they're, they're eager to get back into the land. They're following the promises of God. They're, they're starting the temple, at least. They're doing something reasonable, building their houses. It doesn't seem like they're worshiping other gods yet or that they're sacrificing their children like they had done before to other gods or that they're um, practicing gross injustices in, in Israel. And... It's like a it's it's a fresh start. They, they can't have gone too far off base here yet, and, and and it doesn't seem like man they weren't all they don't seem hostile to God, right? And we don't get the indication of that at this point. Like maybe they've taken their eyes off the goal. Maybe they're procrastinating. Um, like we'll get to that temple project eventually. Maybe they've been distracted. There's other things going on around them. Uh, maybe God's word and command to them. Maybe they're just they're, they didn't understand the extent of that. But I, I think, man, it, it seems like it could be much worse. They're back in the land, rebuilding the city. They're God's people. But the house of the Lord lay in ruins. The the worship of Yahweh isn't happening. The desire for His presence is is just out the door. And so I want you guys to, to, to hear this. What the, what the Jews on August 29th, 520 BC, what they are participating in is no different than what any other nation would be doing at this point if they were allowed to return to a land after they had been exiled. They'd just begin building up the city and that sort of thing. It, it's, without the temple, it's, it's no different. They're just doing the same sorts of things as somebody else might do. And I wonder if it is sometimes the case with God's people or Christians who go about life in a similar way, thinking God did in the past, he did some amazing work years ago in my life, uh, bringing, bringing me, bringing us into his kingdom, and we started right away on this work, and I was excited, and I, you know, we did, we got the beginnings of this started, but then something along the way happened, something, somehow we got distracted, somehow the, 
maybe the, the commands of the Lord just kind of start to seem kind of archaic. Um, maybe we're just procrastinators, like, oh, and you're hearing this from a procrastinator. Um, that's that's um, something I identify sometimes as. Um, we do all, like, I love to do the little kind of easier things before the big thing, because I'm kind of overwhelmed with the big thing, and so I'll just take my time and be busy with all the things that come before that. But the problem is there's always going to be little things that come before that, and so I never end up getting to the big thing. And I'll say, well, I'll get to that when I have the time to do it. Um, but if there's not a deadline, I won't do it, right? <laughs> so <laughs> Mary Beth uh, and I, we share a, a, an app of, called Wonderlist, and we, we put things on each other's honeydew list. And I, um, uh, months ago, I think she put that she wanted me to hang this fruit basket that we got uh, in the kitchen in this bag plastic bag holder in the kitchen. And it was on my to-do list, but there was no due date on it. So I knew that that was something that she wanted me to do, but I, if, if I don't know when she wants it done, and I, obviously I thought that this wasn't a very important thing to accomplish, and I had plenty of other things that I placed in priority about that. So um, we had a good conversation. Here's a little conflict resolution lesson in our marriage. Um, she put a due date on it, I think, or we talked about it, and now it's done. You can go look at it over in the behind the cabinet. Due dates. Due dates. So, but sometimes that happens with those things that God calls us to, those areas of, of righteousness, obedience, maybe these big things that he's called us into, and we just procrastinate. We think, well, I, I would like to be there one day. I'd like to know God's word better. I'd like to be somebody who's more deeper in or spends more time in prayer. I'd like to be this type of person, but we just kind of put our, well, you know, I'll get that. Maybe when I'm older, maybe when I have time, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of run in that direction. And uh, somehow the, the worship of God and his loving presence in our lives has become something that it, it's like, well, I'll, I mean, sometimes I'll hear people say, when I get my life in order, then I'll just really focus on uh, these sorts of things. And I think that what, what God would tell us, uh, maybe you would have to tell us through uh, somebody else, maybe a prophet's going to come tell us, time out. Consider your ways. What are you doing? Where are your priorities? That the, the house of God, or, or our, whatever our work in the will of the Lord, it, it lies in ruins while you yourself busy yourself with your own house and your own work. You have time for yourself to do these things for you and not, it seems, for God. What are your priorities? Do you comfort yourself by saying, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not openly rebelling against God. I don't feel angry against God. I'm just not really getting to those things. I'm going to put them off. Um, I'm just kind of doing my thing right now. I'll get to that. Trust me, God, I'm going to get there. But I wonder, like, how many things do we just stuff in front of us that God really doesn't care about and we do things that we think we have to do at first because that's what everybody else does. And really what we need is a perspective change. Like, for example, a few maybe silly or simple examples, but I eat breakfast before I do my, my reading of scripture in, in the daytime, uh, in the morning. Uh, if I sleep in too late, what that means is what's going to get skipped well, I've got to eat breakfast, and that's the first thing I do, so I'm going to leave off the Bible reading. I'm trying to catch that up some other time. Um, what if instead you said, whoops, I snoozed in one too many times. I guess I just won't get to eat this morning. Where's my Bible? <laughs> and you thought, oh, man, there's something maybe even important about my own uh, physical nourishment. Or how about this? Like, if I, if I get everything done on my list this week, on my wonder list, then that will be the time that I can rest, that I can Sabbath. If I just make sure to get everything done, so I'm going to try to get everything done, and then if I, if I accomplish that, then I'll be able to rest. What happens? You never get it done. I've got nine items on my wonder list right now that are due or overdue today. So um, I'm not going to get through those, and if I choose, I, I, I believe that, that God is very clear in his command that we are to, to Sabbath. Um, I, 
if, if I choose to, to place my other to-do items in front of that, uh, we've got a problem. Mary Beth and I try to, try to, try to um, uh, practice Sabbath whether we feel like we need it or not, whether we feel like we have the time to do it or not, and I would suggest to do that, you would do the same. Um, we're not perfect at that. But, uh, Can you really set cool. a parameter on that, like limit it to like three? What do you mean? Yeah, limit the oh. to three. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, sometimes I'm, I'm, I've got it, done a good job at like just changing the due date. Well, I can do that next month and I just change it. So that's like comes up later, but um, yeah. On Wonderlist, they're in red. The ones That'll that help Mary Beth, though, prioritize which ones are really important. <laughs> you better not look at my main list on there. Come on, go ahead. Or how about this one? I, I'm going to save, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice saving and get my retirement in a good place, and then I will be able to give to other people and be generous to other people. Like, I just want to make sure that I'm going to be covered and then then, man, I'll, I'll be free to, to give all the more. What's, what's the problem with that? You never know how much you're going to need. And you might think, well, the, I, you know, I've got this much in my, uh, in my retirement account. I've got this much on um, my life insurance, my health insurance, and Social Security. And, but what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if the economy collapses? And what if this hospital doesn't work and I have to go out of network? Well, then my expenses are going to be this. And like you could probably never save enough to feel 100% secure. And then, well, the problem is I think God calls us to be generous right now. And maybe there's an element of trusting God right now and being willing to share with the one who asks right now. Um, we, I think we just get to doing what everyone else does and we think, well, this, this work of the Lord that he's called me to in my life, if I get to that, that's extra, that'll be great. And sometimes we even pray, Lord, will you help me get all of these things done so that I can spend time with you? Um, it doesn't feel like blatant rebellion because it's like, well, I'm going to get to that. I want to get there. Like, I'm, this is something that I will do. I'll do my Bible reading later. Or I'll be generous later or whatever it is. So it doesn't seem like we're, we're doing something that's all that off, but maybe a little indifferent, maybe a little bit lazy, maybe a little bit procrastinating, maybe a little bit fearful. I think there's a lot of... Um, Christians sitting in churches who have sat idle on their butts for years and years um, and coasted and put off holiness and righteousness and service to the Lord as something that I will get to one day. And I think we just need to look at ourselves and say, hey, time out. Consider your ways. Look at what's happened. Look at the spot on the carpet. I know you've grown used to this, and it doesn't seem like a big deal. And you say you're going to get, you know, eventually you're going to get there. But consider that um, if you don't make a conscious choice to reprioritize that important work that God has called you to, is never going to get done. The temple is never going to get rebuilt, like we see here in Israel. And you're going to fill your life with the same things that everybody else fills their life with. Everybody who doesn't worship God. So consider your ways. What would happen if we started with seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness and worshiping him? And we said, you know what? You know, Father, you know what I need. I'll obey. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe that you'll provide what I need. What would happen is he would provide what we need. And it may not come how you expect, but he would provide for us. He would, he would be with us in that. Um, and I would feel a lot more confident in that seat than in seeking the things that are not a priority or ought not to be a priority with God not with me or not in that decision or me not seeking him in that way. Um, First things first. That's, I think, the, the message that God is speaking through Haggai. And then he says, I am with you. And later in chapter 2, he says, like when this construction has begun again on the temple, he says, okay, from this day forth, now I will bless you. Um, in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 10, the disciples tell Jesus, they say, Lord, we have left 
everything and followed you. Like that seems like, man, our, their priorities are right on the money. They literally, they don't care about anything else in their life. They just left everything to follow Jesus. And what does he tell them? He doesn't tell them, you know, I'm sorry that you had to leave those things behind. That's, you know, you're, that's really a struggle and I just feel bad that you had to give those things up. He tells them, you all will receive 100-fold what you've given up. You've left your families, you've left your houses, you've left your lands, your brothers, your sisters, your mothers. Okay, but what you receive is 100-fold. I think what that's talking about is, is, is the church. It's, it's God's people. In God's people, you receive 100-fold your brothers. Man, how many brothers do I have in Christ now? How many sisters do I have in Christ? How many mothers? How many homes? You're sitting in a home right now that is, we, we like to say it's your home too. Your house is our house, and I hope, hopefully your, ha- your house is my house too. Um, and, but it, it's, that's, we receive so much, God provides for our needs so much, and in that Mark chapter 10, it's, it's not even talking right there about the blessing of, of it, it, it says, and then also in the time to come, eternal life, like you're also going to get all that by leaving everything and following me, so not only is it blessing upon blessing and meeting all of our needs that we could possibly have more than you can fathom in this life, oh, and also eternal life, that's a really Nice benefit, too. That's a really good thing, too. If we seek his kingdom, we will be more satisfied both here and there. Um, so just to, just to kind of wrap this up, how is, how is the kingdom, just consider how the kingdom of God um, in your life is is which areas is it laying in ruins, so to speak? I've, I'll give you a couple of different examples in that that I hear from, from people, uh, from people who are desiring to follow Christ. Um, I have stopped talking to people about Jesus like I used to. I stopped sharing my faith like I used to. I once had this zeal for talking to people about Christ and and sharing this news, this good news about Jesus. Um, Maybe it was in college for some of us with this campus ministry. It just fired us up and we're like, yes, we're telling everybody that we can about Christ. Um, And I don't know why I've kind of stopped doing that. I put that off and I think, yeah, I need to get back to that. That's really important. That's the most critical message people can hear. But I've just kind of stopped thinking about it since that time, and it's just kind of it's kind of pushed off to the side. Or maybe your the the ruins, so to speak, in in your spiritual life are your knowledge of God's word that you barely started building at some point when you first heard the gospel. And yes, you understand some of the the life of Christ, and you understand that He died and that He was buried and that He resurrected. But kind of after that, you just it, it just kind of stopped. It came to a halt, and you think, I want to learn this book, but man, this is overwhelming. This is a huge book, and there's so much to learn here, and you, you put it off. Maybe eventually I'll get there. Maybe eventually I'll read through the Bible. Maybe eventually I'll study through this. Maybe eventually I'll understand Hebrews, um, but it's something that maybe we, we put off for now because this is a big book. This is overwhelming, and I just would rather watch TV right now instead. Um, maybe it has to do with prayer. I've, I've stopped, man, I used to have this vibrant prayer life and I've just kind of, I've lost that somehow. Um, or, or maybe I've, I've never been a person of prayer and it's somewhere that I would like to get, but maybe I'll be like all of the old people that I see that are just really fervent and faithful in prayer. Like I think one day I'll be like my mom, she's 60 years old and she just prays all the time and she just has this, um, this love for (coughs) talking to God and hearing from God and, um, maybe I'll get there one day and I just kind of put it off right now my life is just uh, is in ruins so to speak or maybe I want to like I said maybe I want to become more generous but right now I just I, I just want to think about myself I know I should store up treasures in heaven but there's just so much that I have to do there's so much that I have to have to keep up with everybody else and what my family thinks and gosh if I don't if I don't pursue this type of wealth or this type of career then what's my family going to think and um Maybe God has called you into some type of kingdom living that will face opposition, and you're scared, and you think, I don't know if I want to go there, I don't know if I want to bother, maybe I'll get there someday. And I want to ask, how will you prioritize God's kingdom over 
your own. If you can imagine being in Jerusalem in 520 BC, um, if, if you would look up, kind of pretty much no matter where you are in that city, if you look up on the eastern hill, I think, uh, you would, this is where Solomon's temple would have been, and there, um, you, could, you could certainly see it from many different vantage points, wherever your house was, um, and if you looked up there at the time of Haggai's writing, you'd see this, I assume you'd see maybe some clear rubble off to the side, and you'd see this, this foundation that was being, that was laid in order for the temple to be built upon it. And you would just look up there, and maybe you, you were part of the, when the people came back at 536 or so, and you saw some of that construction starting to take place, or maybe you were involved with it, and you were excited, but then you had this great disappointment when that stopped, at first, it's embarrassing. Every time you look up the hill, you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, we need to get back to that. This is, this is really a symbol of, of, of God and his glory, and man, we should take care of that. But eventually, you stop being embarrassed, and that just becomes part of the horizon. That's just what my eye is used to seeing. It's like when you're used to seeing a particular like cityscape, and it's like, well, that's just, that's just the way that it looks. That's kind of that's the stain on the carpet to Israel. It's just, there's just this... That's just the way that our, our geography kind of looks, this flattened foundation on the top of this hill. And your eyes just grow used to it. And I wonder if that's just not what happens with oftentimes our spiritual walk. And sometimes we need a prophet in our lives saying, wake up, consider your ways. Take a, take a fresh look at what's going on and what's not right here. And I know that it seems overwhelming, it seems big, but God will be with you in your obedience. And all those things that you're anxious about, that you're worried about, that you have to take care of, God will take care of those. You go fix the temple, make the first thing first, and don't procrastinate me, but worship me. Um, you guys can maybe think of hopefully some application in your life, um, but I want to give just kind of one specific thing as a church um, that I'd love to see. Um, do you guys know what will happen on May 19th? We'll finish the Old Testament. Uh, mark that in your calendar. Um, if you haven't been reading along with us, then on Friday, we're starting First uh, and Second Chronicles, um, which are going to be the last two books that, that we read um, in the Old Testament. And Chronicles is kind of, uh, it covers a large period of time. Uh, the, the Bible project um, chapter heading on it is the story so far. It kind of just sets up everything. If you read along, it's going to be great because it will remind you of some uh, events that have happened that we've already read about. Um, but it would be a, a great place just to, as we're about to enter into reading the New Testament, just to kind of pick up and, and get, a, get a, a summary of a lot of the years. Don't, don't get overwhelmed with uh, the beginning of First Chronicles, the first 10 chapters. Just It's okay if you want to skim those things. It's just a genealogy, and you don't have to memorize the names and whatever. Just um, there, Some of the Bible Project stuff tells you in these, in these passages, just skim this. I don't think it actually says it on the app, but... Um, you, you, you still uh, pass the test if you skim the uh, 10 chapters of genealogy. Um, but I would encourage you to make a priority of, of reading that and even setting a, a, just a discipline in your life of, of reading God's word daily, um, even before we get to the New Testament. When we get to the New Testament, um, you're not going to have to work, we're not going to have to work nearly as hard to kind of understand the point and, and, and the benefit of every day that we read. It's going, to, it's going to be, in a sense, it's going to be easier to kind of make sense. Not that you don't have to work through things and you're going to understand everything. But um, it's, it's it, you, we're going to love it, right? Like if you, if you know much about the Bible, it's, it's going to be kind of refreshing as we get there. Um, you may have heard a lot of the New Testament before. I know that some of you have. Maybe you've read through it before or several times. Um, you're going to hear a lot of verses that are famous verses that you've heard before. 
Um, but it, it is going to line out for us very clearly what, what the life of a Christian is to look like, or what does it mean to follow Christ? What does it look like um, to, to be about what God desires for us to be about? And it's going to be very practical and exciting, and you're going to want to slow down because it's, it's too much to absorb in just a quick read-through. Um, but it's going to make clear to us, I think, this is my point, it's going to make clear to us, if we read it afresh, what our priorities in life ought to be. Okay, so... If you just read it like, yeah, I've kind of heard this story before, I've heard that before, and yeah, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I memorized that in Sunday school. Like, if that's, if that's the way that you approach it, um, then, then it's not going to seem, it's not going to do anything or much in our lives. But instead, if we can just look past the familiarity maybe of it, how we grew up in it, and see what does it really like, look like to live as a member of God's kingdom, then I think in, in many ways it will turn some of our worlds upside down. And I would love it if as we get there, we talk about it. Um, let's not be used to it, but let's marvel at the person of Jesus together and his life and marvel at what he has accomplished. Let's like notice the significance and, and ask, what does it look like to be born again? Like this, these terms that we've heard a hundred times. So what does that actually mean as we look into the scripture? What's the significance of the church, which Paul and Peter both kind of talk about like it's a, like it's a temple that God is building one stone at a time. What is that? Where is all of this going to end when we get to the book of Revelation? We look into that and let's order our lives. Let's set our priorities around what Scripture calls us to. Again, not, I mean, it's not that we're not called to stuff in the Old Testament, but it's just going to be a lot more crystal clear as we look into the New Testament. I'm saying let's prioritize our lives, not around what everybody else who doesn't know the Lord prioritizes their lives around, but let's prioritize it around what God says ought to be first, what God says our priorities ought to be, what God says our righteousness ought to look like, and let's put first things first. And I, I think that we'll maybe begin to see areas of our life that there's this kind of flattened horizon that it's like, well, spiritually, like that, that needs to change, and we need to see something start to be built there and something start to, to happen. Um, Verse 15, that last verse says that the people started back up the work on the 24th day of the month and the sixth month on the second year of Darius the king. That's September 21st, 520 BC. Um, when the people of God at this point in history, they considered their ways, they repented, which is, again, not happening all the time, and their priorities rearranged, and they started to build the temple begin the temple again, and it was marked down, like, okay, this is the date that it began. And I wonder if, if maybe today or tonight will, will be a day that, that we can say that I, I, I've, I've listened, and I want to obey, and I, I want to rearrange my priorities and reorient my life around the work that God has called me to organize my life around and say, I'm committed to the task that God has called me to. And you have to, uh, I don't want to preach another sermon. You have to do that with other believers. The, the temple analogy, once it's talking about it to a singular person, but most of the time that we're talking about God's building in the New Testament, it's multiple people that God is building together, it's growing together, it says. And he's adding new stones in there as people come to know Christ. So, it's going to have to be done together. Um, talk about it. Have two or three other people in your life that you're regularly like, man, here's, here's what I'm reading. Do you see this? Can we look into this? Can we ask somebody a, a question about, well, you know, what does this mean? What is this? What's the influence? Or how does this affect my life? What does this mean? And I want somebody to hold me accountable to this, to display the presence of God in my life. And um, when we obey when we are about the work that he's called us to do, um, he will be with us.
can, the time is now. It's not to put it off for one day. It's now. Father, thanks for um, thanks for the, just the reminder. Gosh, so often what we what we read uh, historically, what's happened with your people um, is just a r- reminder to us of of uh, what what we are like and and what you uh, desire us to be like and what you are making us to be. Um, I pray, God, that as we... um, I don't sense that anybody... uh, Most of the the Christians that we hang out with don't seem like they're just openly against the work of the Lord or doing these horrific things. It It doesn't seem like that. But God, to not be seeking the, the, the type of work that you have called us to is rebellion against you. To just do what everybody else does in a good way is not seeking your kingdom and your righteousness and trusting you to add um, anything else that you see that we need. So, um, God, I pray that you would help us all to, to, to refocus, if needed, to prioritize, to, to orient our lives around the work that you have called us to, the things that matter, the, the living as members of your kingdom and not just the way that the kingdoms of this earth kind of run and function. Uh, but Lord, would you help us not to put off what you want to do, not to say, well, I'll get there one day, I'll be the mature Christian I should be one day, I just need to take care of these things real quick first. Um, but would you help us to seek that now. I pray that you uh, do that in us, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.